Hi, this is Mary and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. So today I have a special guest, Che Johnson, who has over 30 years of experience in the field of astrology and is an astro coach, as well as an amazing psychotherapist who is the embodiment of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusivity. So let's just drop into the conversation and learn all about astrology and what's in store for us in 2024. I am talking to a therapist and astrologer, Jay Johnson, and we're going to talk about astrology and what the astrological outlook for 2024 is in terms of major planetary movements, Mercury, when Mercury goes into retrograde, what it means for love and relationships, personal growth, potential opportunities for love. We're covering it all. So I am so excited to have Che on this podcast, and I'm excited to talk about astrology. Yes. Oh, good. Okay, good. First of all, like I said, it's really great to see you. For those who are watching, I'm going to do a little thing. So you notice I'm, I have my ugly Christmas sweater on. But here's my, here's a little Rorschach test. What's the first thing that you see when you look at the sweater? Wakanda. Okay. Some people, when they first look at the sweater, they see the Wu-Tang symbol, right? Oh, yeah. So it's so funny because some people will see Wu-Tang and some people will see Wakanda. For those of you, I was listening to Wu-Tang earlier today. It's like the 40th, 30th anniversary of, okay. So anyway, when my husband bought this for me, I was like, it was my birthday last year. I was like, this is the greatest birthday present I've ever gotten. Because it was Christmas, Ugly Christmas, Black Panther, Wu-Tang. Like, you can't beat all it. Of right? it. All, all of it. It's all amazing. of it. Which is like me. I'm, I'm a therapist like you. Been, you know, seeing clients, what, since 2017? And I've been a professional astrologer for over 30 years. And one of the reasons why I became a therapist after doing astrology was, I still do astrology, of course, but one of the things that happened was as I was looking at people's charts and seeing these patterns of character, I could see it and talk about it, but I didn't, I wanted to help them with it, right? And so I just realized being able to see something and tell somebody about it wasn't really necessarily giving them traction. Some people, they hear the insight and it was like, boom, and they could just go and, but other people, it would be like, tell me something I don't know. And they, there was nothing therapeutic I could do with them. And so I had to really go back and learn about what could happen. What could I do to help? And I really needed to become a therapist to learn that. And now my therapy integrates astrology, right? So I have two things. I have clinical psychotherapy and then I also have astro coaching, right? So I'll do like a, my clinical psychotherapy is like your traditional psychotherapy. And then the astro coaching is I'll have people, we'll do, we'll do like 10 or 12 sessions and we'll just go through all these different aspects of their chart and kind of just, it's like a, a buffing of your whole life. So one of the things that I'm always looking at whenever I'm looking at potential clients, whether they be, you know, clinical psychotherapy clients or astrology life coaching clients, it, I'm just trying to find out which one is going to help them more. And because sometimes it's, some people really just need an acute kind of boost and other people really need to go in depth and get into, they need to just be, sit with somebody and get that feeling of feeling safe and 
going through and having somebody help hold space for them and all those things we do in therapy, right? And what's happening for me now is as I, I have people go this way or the other is I'm realizing, oh, it is Wu-Tang and Wakanda in certain situations a lot. There are people for whom I can be, I can do therapy with them and I can look at, I can look at aspects of the chart and get an understanding. It can actually be more, it can be insightful. And we can work with the insights and without being a fortune teller, just going, hey, there's this theme astrologically that's going on and, and it relates to something that you're talking about, right? And then for the astral clients, there's so many psychotherapy clinic. There's so many therapy techniques we can use that really help to massage the message or that's not the right word. It just help the person get a better understanding of what that chart is trying to tell them, what they're trying to say to them, right? So there are those two different, there, there are those things and they all mix together. One of the things that I'm most fascinated by is how people see themselves, right? So in, in oh, therapy land, we have internal family systems, right? Or parts therapy. So that's like when we're sitting with a client, it's almost like we can see the phantoms of their parents and oh, siblings right. sitting yeah. next to them. Oh, that's influencing you. Okay, that's influencing you, right? And so what astrology does is the chart is really looking at there are all these different parts of who you are, the sun, the overall personality, the moon, the instinctual self, the way you care for others, right? What's what unifies all the different parts together, right? Including that overall personality, which is the dominant force. Then you've got Mercury, the way you think and express. And then you've got Venus, the way that you love emotionally, the way that you work, the way you work with others, right? And then Mars, the way you protect your physical aspect of sexuality, whereas Venus is emotional, right? Aspect of sexuality and relationship. There's Mars is like how you fight, how you protect others, how you express yourself physically, athletically, right? And then Jupiter, how you expand, how you make these big connections, right? Saturn is how you structure yourself, how you set limits on yourself, how you go beyond limits, right? That's more like Uranus and, and also the Chiron, the planetary Chiron and also. So, so Uranus is really about how you revolutionize. Neptune is how you dream, how you conceptualize in these big ways that are mystical. And then Pluto is just how you transform. And then there's those then there's the, the asteroids, the asteroid belt, which is extraordinary. All these goddess planetoids, right? Ceres, Pallas, Vesta, Juno, Juno, all these really strong feminine energies and how you nurture, how you like nest, how you make home, how you relate to others, how you're a partner, all these different things going on. So all of those different planets are the different aspects of our pers our overall personality, right? Our overall psyche and ourself. So I just want to interrupt for a second. So this is sure. so interesting. And I love that you brought up like internal family systems, the parts work part. Yeah. And astrology is based on the date that we're born, the time that we're born, and right. also the hemisphere, whichever hemisphere sure. we're into. Yep. And, so, yeah. and I'm curious when you're talking about all the different planets and how they shape our personality, right? You know, how 
And you're talking about the internal family systems and you saying, oh, I can see the phantoms of the, of the ancestors sitting next to my clients. Sure. And I'm just curious, like, how does astrology work and, and the time that work with that, the part seeing like the ancestors of the family, like how, right. I guess, how we're influenced by our caregivers? Sure, sure. What it is, it's a map, but the chart, right? It's a map. So it's a map. And at the center of the map is you at the time and place that you were born, right? And actually, what it is, it's the moment that you take a breath. Mm -hmm. uh, your first breath is, it's that synapse, that amazing electromagnetic transformation where you go from water creature to land creature breathing air, right? And there is an electromagnetic change in your body. And the imprint of that moment that you take that first breath. The planets are always moving around and Earth and everything is there. Everything's moving. Even the sun is moving. This whole solar system is moving, right? Everything's moving. So what we're looking at when we look at, we're, we're, it's a moment, snapshot of that moment you took your first breath. And it really says, oh, when I became this incarnated Earth baby, right? This is where the heavens were. And it says, oh, maybe this is a clue for self-navigation to the moment, to the who I am. And so each of those planets will hit all those things. So to specifically answer your question, it, the, 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 the moon very often represents the mother, the nurturing, the kind of mothering we had, the kind of nurturing we had, right? And the, the sun represents the dad, but also Saturn really also represents the kind of structuring that we have. These are those, the, those traditional, very often you can have a man or a non-binary person doing the nurturing and a woman or a non-binary person doing the, the structuring, right? So it's not, these are more traditional roles, but you, we find that kind of thing happening, right? With regard to the planets, what we, we talk about planet, but now let's talk about signs because that's what people usually associate with astrology. So the zodiac is that band of animals that's like, around the planet Earth. And what it is, it's a bunch of constellations, a bunch of different stars, collections of, of clusters of stars that we've just collected and clustered together. And they look, one looks like this. And there's in the Babylonian Western system of astrology that we use, there are 48 constellations, right? So there's 12 main constellations. And then there's each main constellation has three sub-constellations underneath it, right? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I did not and, know that. And you know how there's every few years, there's this whole thing of, we found the 13th sign, it's Orpheus. And that's like, yeah. like, well, it's just where we're looking at the, the stars right now, Orpheus fits in, but Orpheus is actually, we're actually in the sub-constellation of Orpheus right now as we're recording this. But, but Sagittarius is a big constellation and under it are three sub-constellations. And the sun moves through Sagittarius just like it moves through all the other signs in 30 days, right? Well, and it's in the first, it's moving through Sagittarius right now as we record this. Also moving through the sub-constellation of Orpheus. And then the next one will be Sagitta, which is the arrow that the Sagittarius shoots. And the next one is Aura, which is like this other energy. So each of these sub-constellations has like specific energies that add to the, the main constellation. Right. Oh. So it's I, the reason why I bring it up now is because we're in, we're not only are we in the, the constellation of Sagittarius until the 21st, 
of December 22nd, but we're also in this sub-constellation of um, Orpheucus, right? And we're, so it's this very powerful time of Orpheucus. It's actually, we're like the, la- it's like the last day we're moving into Sagittarius now. So it's been 10 days, right? So every 10 days it moves. Mm-hmm. The reason why I bring that up is because the planets are moving around from our perspective, they're moving around all in, around the zodiac, right? So the planets represent these different parts of ourselves, right? And whenever they move in front of a, a different sign, it's almost like they're putting on the mask, right? So the sun is the overall self, right? And it, it took off the mask of Scorpio. It put on the mask of Sagittarius. So now the overall self is big and grand and bright and wild, breaking boundaries and stepping on toes, but inadvertently and just doing all these big grand gestures and telling grand stories and big spender, big eater, big fun, big everything. So that's what's happening right now. That's where we, that's the energy that the overall personality that the sun is giving us. Right. But, but it is doing that for 30 days. And then the moon every two and a half days is just changing signs, zooming. So that internal overall personality sun that unifying principle of all things holds the entire solar system together with gravity and a big electromagnetic bubble around. That sun is just like saying, okay, this is, this is what I'm wearing. I'm wearing Sagittarius. The moon is that is the represents the interconnectedness of all things. So the moon is moving through all these different signs very quickly. So that's, that's the moon is going to do something very different because it's moving more quickly. So all of these different planets are wearing the face of the sign for whatever, how much time they do it. So whenever you were born, that kind of gives us a snapshot of which planets were wearing, which ma- the mask of which sign, right? Where, where was Venus, that kind of thing. So oh that's my God, that makes so much sense. Because when I first read my chart way back when it was done thousands of years ago, <laughs> I, I was read this and I'm like, okay, so my Neptune is in this and my, I only know, no, it's in my chart, but I only know I'm a Taurus sun sign. My moon is in Virgo and oh, wow. Aquarius rising sign and my Venus is in Taurus. So... Great. I, but I just didn't even know what that meant. And so I'm so sure. happy that you explained it. Like even just using that, like yeah. very visual, the, they're wearing the mask. It's wearing the mask. Line. Yeah. Right. The overall personality is I'm going to put on the tourist mask and I'm, my overall personality is going to be brash, strong, really into relationships with other people, really into physical stuff, really into gardening and eating and sex and throwing parties and sitting down and physically feeling everything and studying and talking to people and engaging and all that's what my, I'm going to be doing. Right. And then my, you know, that's my overall personality, right? You said your moon is in Virgo, which is rare. It's, a, it's the rarest moon to be born under. So my internal interconnecting self, my nurturing self is about Virgo is totally misunderstood sign. And Virgo is about really being the witch, the warlock, the one who gives us an experience of being alive through ritual. So your internal self is like, the way you nurture is by, the shadow can be criticizing and analyzing, but the bright side of that is I'm bringing you into ritual. I'm helping you, I'm bringing, I'm bringing you into ritual so you can have a sense of 
experience of being alive and have a sense of your own belonging in the cosmos. I'm manifesting cosmos from chaos. It's this very, in, very intense mission that the Virgo has, if they can accept it. This, and then you said your Venus was in Taurus and your mm-hmm. rising was, sign is it? My rising sign is Aquarius. So the rising sign is, is basically where was the, what sign was the sun rising on the earth in when you were born? You could have been born at midnight, but somewhere on the earth, the sun is rising. The sun is rising on the earth every moment somewhere. And so wherever it was rising when you were born, whatever time you were born, we draw a line out, it would hit a constellation. And the constellation that it hits is Aquarius. So that rising is telling us like, how do you rise? How do you show? How do you, what's your first impression to people? And then what is, but also it's, I call it the inner thread of motivation. What is, we took a, like a thread all the way through you, like what would motivate you? And that's Aquarius. And Aquarius is futuristically thinking, think going forward, going, looking at things in completely different ways, breaking down paradigms. So you're going to come across as like electric, blue, different, avant-garde, bringing together communities, wanting people to have freedom versus liberty, which is I get to do whatever I want. And who cares? But freedom is like, we have a collective responsibility to everybody being able to have their own identity in community, right? Mm-hmm. In commonwealth and all this stuff. So that's, that's the rising. So that's what's also motivating you. It's also, it's how you show up, but it also, it's what motivates you. And then you said Venus, was it Venus was in Taurus? And what was the other, did you say anything else? I'm representing there. But so Venus in Taurus is going to be like, so every sign has an affinity for certain, every planet rather, has an affinity for certain signs. And every sign has an affinity for certain planets, right? So the sun is just naturally has an affinity for Leo, right? It rules Leo and that's what it, that's what it does, right? The moon has a natural affinity for cancer, the, mm, the, the, yeah. the crab, the moon, the sea, the ocean, right? And so Venus has a natural affinity for both, it is a natural affinity for Taurus and Libra, right? And in its Taurus manifest, so if Venus is wearing the mask of Taurus, right? Venus in, in Taurus is, oh, I'm home. I love to make things. I love to make beautiful things. I love to cook. I love to, I love to just be with people and talk. And, and I love to acquire stuff. And sometimes my possessions possess me. Also, even more than experiencing value from acquiring, I get this great joy by creating value through relationship, mm-hmm. right? Because Venus is the relator planet, right? So that's, so you're going to have this, you will relate to people, places, and things by either trying to acquire them or creating value by relating with them, right? Relating to them. And it, it'll, it, you'll find yourself in the shadow sometimes and in the light, depends on which kind of all, a lot of other things. So that's like how those things work. When I look at someone's chart, I'm going, oh, this is how, these are the default patterns that they fall into. But you can be anything. You can be anything. You can, you can decide, I want to behave like a Venus in Gemini, which is completely different than a Venus in Taurus, right? It's just that your default pattern, because that was what was like, that's like in that moment of that electromagnetic snap. So you took a breath, your first breath, and the, imp- the planet kind of imprinted on you. Here's your signature. That's your default pattern, right? But it doesn't really... It, planets progress, planets move, your planets, your natal planets move, 
So yes, it is. It's the natal imprint, but it, it's not your destiny. Yeah. 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 That makes right. sense. And I'm just also like, when you're talking about the shadow side, I'm also curious, like how, if I'm coming at this from like an attachment lens, it, you know, how, if we grew up with insecure attachment, maybe our caregivers weren't giving us enough or they were giving us right. too much or whatever it was that kind of fostered that attachment. I'm just wondering, is that more where you might see people go into their shadow side of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you would. If okay. Venus is, here's, there's this thing, there's a bunch of things that go into the main ingredients for the super astrology, right? So obviously planets is one, one main ingredient, science, obviously another main ingredient, right? And then there's this thing called aspects. This house is an aspect, but aspects are basically like, where are the planets? They're in different signs, right? But how are they relating to each other? Because there's certain signs that get together, get along well, right? Like all the earth signs get along super, super well, right? Taurus, Virgo, Capricorn, they all get along really well, right? All the water signs get along well, all the fire signs, all the air signs, they all get along really well with each other, right? Their own sign. And then earth signs, get along not not as super well as they do with the earth stars, but they get along quite well with water signs, right? And mm -hmm. air and fire get along quite well too, mm -hmm. right? So you're gonna find that. But earth and earth and water are gonna have a different relationship. They're gonna be like looking at each other from opposite sides. And fire and air are gonna look at each other from opposite sides sometimes, but they are gonna yeah, sorry. Did I say that right? Yeah. But they also, it also can be a very dynamic relationship that can be really helpful. But where you see the difficulties is what is when specifically when fire is either looking at, like, for instance, you're a Taurus. Well, let's, let's go with Earth, right? If the Taurus is looking, Earth is looking fire, right? Fire and Earth, they square each other. So it's like an inherent conflict. And in that inherent conflict, uh, that's when shadows can emerge. Mm. And they, in the emergence of the shadow, it's, it's, it's such a pain that you have to work with it. You have to figure out what am I going to do with this? So that's part of, that's part of that. So you'll have these, you'll have these aspects, the way the certain planets look at each other, but there's where they square kind of, it's like they're 90 degrees and they square off and they're not, they're, they're just inherently in conflict. And so the two of them have to have a dialogue. And they have to find out they, they have wants that are in conflict, but they have needs that can be worked out. It's just that they, each sign has got to really get clear and distinguish what they want and what they need from what they need, because it's about getting really into the needs. So when you have a square in your chart, that's when you'll see shadows manifest. And when you see the shadow manifest, you're like, oh, I got to do some, some inner dialogue. So a lot of times I'll tell my clients, like, we're going to have these two planets talk to each other because they're squaring, they're squaring, they're, conf they're conflicting, and we're going to, we're going to have them talk with each other. So I'll give them exercises to get them to dial like one part to dialogue with the other and vice versa. Oh, I love that. And so that's yeah. really, that's like the parts. It that's the parts. Like, that's the yeah, parts there. So yeah, yeah, I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So yes. And it's what you're. One of the things that you'll notice is as we talk about the year coming ahead, right? Yeah. You're going to see like a lot of, how do I say this? You'll see a lot of, there's a lot of difficulty 
because there are just times when the planets are squaring each other, right? We have our own natal planets, we're doing our thing or whatever, and then some planetary configuration that's out there. And the idea behind this, which is not so much a science as an art, is that the gravitational pull of these planets on us where Pluto is pulling from the constellation of Capricorn about to go into Aquarius, and Jupiter is pulling from another those two poles are just going to be weird on us, right? Whereas if the moon and the sun are trining, which is like really, really harmonious, the pull of the moon and the sun on us is going to feel so good together that we're just going to, everybody's going to have a good day. <laughs> or at least in that area of God, yeah. going to have a good day. So that's how horoscopes are, are done and how we forecast stuff. I'm much more interested in the inner character of what's happening. And no matter what's going on, even if there's a conflict, that the conflict is this extraordinary opportunity for like transformation, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that's really, I, again, I'm just going back to that idea of having the planets talk to each other and really understanding when you're saying if that, if fire and earth are squaring off then it's okay what does each of what does each of them want right what does each of them need and then finding some kind of resolution in that yeah where they both feel okay yeah. and they and they both feel that they're getting their needs met yes and it's difficult because there's processing that needs to be done like sometimes if the sun is in in taurus and the moon is in leo right you know, the sun is like mad and it's not getting its wants met. It's a bee in the face of the moon and Leo, right? Yeah. And the moon is mad too. And so there has to almost be like, there has to, you have to, have, you have to talk about it. <laughs> you have to talk about, hey, I really wanted, I, not my needs, I, my wants, my, I wanted these things to happen and they're not going to happen and it really upsets me. But I need these things to happen. And I know we can have that happen. But there's almost like you got to do, so you got to do that work of not, don't be grudged, don't dishonor the anger, the frustration of losing a, a want. Because it, in this area, you're not, that want is not going to get met. There will be other areas where it can be. But it's almost like if you don't recognize the want will not be met in this area, you can't, you'll be, you keep looking for it to happen in there and it's not, and you won't go someplace else to get that want met, right? So there's, you're like fighting against yourself in a way. You are. You yeah. you actually are. You really yeah. are. And it's it's just that it's that's not the place to get it. But also here we go. Here is where narrative comes in. Where narrative therapy, we're getting all these messages from society that things can only be one way, right? Gender can only be binary, or race can only be binary, or whatever it is, right? And or so you can only be happy if you have these things. Or exactly. look this way. Oh, you look yeah. exactly. So when that's when we're getting those kinds of narratives going on, mm. we we think we can only get what we want by going this one way, and then we have to look at some counter narratives of all of these people who've gone another way and found what they want. And you, with the Aquarius rising, that's what's motivating you. Is what's the way that breaks the whole system down? What's the way that that changes the paradigm? How do I look for the other way, not the one that the system that people are just stuck in? And they can't get out of it. What's the way that breaks it up, everybody, so everybody can have it? 
That's what the oh Aquarius rising. That totally explains why I don't work well in the kind of in the traditional systems. Right. Traditional schooling, traditional jobs. Right. Yeah. Right. Because those things were imposed upon us. Right. And it's okay for that to be one way. It's just that like when that becomes the way, when that becomes the main narrative, then having problems. Community doesn't really work like that, but hierarchy does. And so whoever's on top of that hierarchy is doing great because you know what yeah. they're doing? They're doing whatever they want. Exactly. And everybody else to do, do they, do they can only do these, these certain things. If you look at uh, Ayn Rand, her, I hate to mention Ayn Rand, but the whole libertarian philosophy is that the people who are on top are just naturally morally superior by dint of their success economically and they don't have to follow the morals of that the other people have to follow they can do whatever they want because they're just naturally better right they can break the rules are for those other people below them that's what how hierarchy works right that's the shadow part of hierarchy oh it's the yeah shadow. that's definitely the narrative of when we talk yeah. about billionaires right billionaires can only hang out with billionaires because right. Because they're, they're like, we, we can do whatever we want. We know we were, we've already achieved something that these other lowlings haven't, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's this idea, that's the very shadow that mm -hmm. somebody else has to, that we can't all be truly equal, right? That's that shadow. So the, there's a, but the light is like, oh, no, we can all be equal and you're acting like a jerk to get them to see that. So that's, but anyways, I, it's funny that I brought that up because I, that's really what gets me excited about astrology. Like how do you use astrology to solve these bigger problems, right? And that comes from my mentor, Carolyn Casey, which this book, Making the Gods Work for You, just go get it. Just get it. Seriously, I'm not kidding. The astrological so, language of the psyche. Yes. Making the Gods Work for You. Carolyn Casey, she's been my, astrology mentor for many years, like 25 years. And she's extraordinary. And um, she really has, she has these principles of visionary activist astrology. And I just have the great privilege of, she does Zoom. She's been doing Zoom before pandemic, way before she was teaching on Zoom because she's so futuristic and she's so in the now because she sees the now. But she just had a Zoom on November 1st, which was really talking about how do we transform the conflict that's going on, not just in Israel and Gaza, but also like across the world with all these conflicts. And she's yeah. constantly talking about that. And she just, she's an alchemist. There's nothing else I can say. She looks at the situation. She sees the lead and she recognizes that the lead is but a shadow of the gold. Mm. And that in the lead is where we can find those precious metals. Like we can, Amongst it, it's the very thing. And she understands how to look at it differently. And she sees, she's able to see when a polarity is expressing its shadow, what is the light version of that? When, it, when you see a toxic mimic of something, what is it? What is the toxic mimic mimicking? What is the actual thing we need? So a lot of the astrology that I do when I'm looking at problems and relationships with different, different signs not getting along, I'm like, what is the toxic mimic that's going on here? How is it not working, but it looks, but you keep thinking it's working, but it's not. And then how do we get to the actual source of the light? So that's one of the things that we, that I look at. 
And I know that you would ask me about like relationships and things like that. How that's my dog, by the way. She loves to have attention. That's Sadie. You'll hear her moaning. Oh, yeah. What's her sign? We don't know because she's she's rescued and we rescued her on on um the first of February nine years ago. So I know there's a lot of Aquarius energy, but I think she's a Taurus. I know my Taurians <laughs> really like super loving, very stubborn, very committed, that kind of thing. So yeah. So I want to, I, before you go on, I want to get a sense of the idea of this. What were you, what'd you call it? Toxic? Oh, the toxic mimic. That's Caroline Casey's. Yeah. Can, yeah. Can the you, toxic mimic. Yeah. What is the toxic mimic? The toxic mimic shows up in many different forms, right? It's like every sign has like a bright way to express something. And then they have a mimic and there's a shadow. Way. And the shadow, like we said, comes up when there's a conflict between that's planet in that sign and another planet in another sign that conflicts with it, right? So you'll often see those shadows come up that, right? And in that shadow, it's if I can't express it this way, I'm going to express it this way. And that is when you'll see the toxic mimic. So one of the big trends that you're seeing in society with the way that celebrity has become so important, right? It's like the toxic mimic of our own sense of authority and divinity and our own sense of like how we can set boundaries for ourselves, right? And you'll see a Saturn toxic mimic will be like authoritarianism, right? And this whole idea that there has to be this populist leader who just, quote, gets things done by any means necessary, right? And that's that shadow, the toxic mimic of authority. But real authority is self being self-possessed, right? And not being possessed by somebody else. And but it requires this extraordinary sense of responsibility. You have to make mistakes, you have to rectify the mistake, you have to acknowledge the mistake. It takes a stronger ego. You can't just follow someone else. There's no black and white. There's no white. there's no like straight right or straight wrong. It's it's it, you're in a spectrum and things are situational and it requires real life looking at life as it actually is, right? Mm. So very often, just the fact, just putting things in a binary narrative is itself the toxic mimic of, wow, we have this wonderful spectrum of ideas. And yes, we do have to take one action sometimes. But when we look at this whole spectrum, like it informs the action so that we take it in a balanced way. But the toxic mimic is, no, there's wrong and right, and this is right, and everything else is wrong. And Oh, this is, yeah, this is like how everything is so divisive, right? <laughs> like, people are really sensing that we're living in such a divisive world right now. Right. right. Okay. And everything, I Relationships mean, so, when it's like very, okay. And that's why, one of the reasons why I wore the Wu-Tang Wakanda sweater is because some people see Wakanda, some people see Wu-Tang, but it's both, right? Hey. Remember when they had that whole thing with the is the dress blue or gold or whatever uh -huh. and all that, like back in 2012 or whatever. And, and it was on Twitter and when Twitter was yeah. Twitter. <laughs> and some people were actually, like I saw, I think I saw the blue dress and I didn't see the gold dress. And other people saw the gold dress and, and there was a perception, but I was able to accept, okay, this dress is both blue and gold. I'm only able to see the blue one, but it's both blue and gold. And then there was this weird thing where, you know how you can go, you can, if you want to pronounce, if you want to hear a word pronounced, you can go to YouTube and they, they have a, a pronunciation for almost all the words in the dictionary. And so there was this one word and I can't remember what it was, but 
the way that the person said it, for some people's brains, they processed it as sounding like something else. And then another bunch of people processed it sounding like the word that it was supposed to be pronouncing. And I wasn't hearing the word that was supposed to be, I was hearing something else. And half the population was hearing one word and the other half was processing it auditorily in a different way. And to be able to say, oh, I actually am experiencing reality like this and it's not the only way to experience it. Instead of being like, no, this is it. This is the only way. To actually be able to hold that there could be another way. It was a, an interesting, I just found it to be such a fascinating moment for us that we had this auditory and visual experience where we were not experiencing everything the same way and yet both were accurate and both were correct and they were different, right? So that's, a, that's just one of the things that I noticed trending as, because I was looking at what, because I'm looking, we, so we talk about planet, right? And those big planets we were talking about were the ones we were mentioning, right? Sun, moon, Venus rising, also Mars, also Jupiter, right? Saturn is the borderland of going into the big, to the bigger, the, out, the outer influence of planet. Jupiter. Personal, yeah. Neptune, Ju Neptune and uh, Uranus and Pluto. So Uranus those are the Pluto. bigger planets. They move more slowly. They kind of influence generations, right? I was trying to see how is Neptune and Pluto and, and Uranus, like how are they influencing these larger generations. And that was one of the things I noticed was like, it's giving us this choice of we can get into the toxic mimic of no, the, the dress is blue and I'm right. And everybody else is wrong. That's the toxic mimic of I have the certainty, but there's also like the science of actually no, there's a spectrum of experience here. And that's what well, the certainty is that it's a spectrum, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And no other way to put it, we are constantly being challenged. But when we engage, Caroline Casey says that astrology is a remedial school, right? It's a remedial language and a remedial school to help us to understand these kind of spiritual truths that are just part of who we are, right? And it just gives us, it just can point, hey, pay attention to this, pay attention to that, pay attention to this, because we can often get lost. A lot of what we do as therapists is we're imbuing people with common sense reminders because it's just, we get distracted. Yeah, we get lost in our own weeds. Bingo. Yeah. So that's a, that's one of the big things that, that I think is happening. And that's how I look at it. And one of the things that we, you mentioned this, and I just wanted to bring it up because it's an interesting example is with, with Mercury in retrograde, which is happening very soon, right? It's going to happen on Wednesday. The 13th, let me go, let me just look really quickly. Going to happen on Wednesday, the 13th. Where are we? I'm in, I'm already looking at the 2023 retrograde. 2024 retrogrades, rather. It's going to be December 13th, uh, 12.09 a.m. in on Pacific Standard Time and 3.09 a.m. in Eastern Standard Time, right? And 7.09 a.m which is called what we call universal time, which is Greenwich mean time, uh, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So on Wednesday, December 13th, Mercury, I always tell people, if you ever really want to understand retrograde, go to a planetarium. They 
usually during this time of year, four times a year, they do a little Mercury retro show. And you look up in the, in, at their, in the planetarium and they show the planets moving around much more quickly than they do in a daily. And you get to see how Mercury is moving around the Earth, around the sun super fast. And the Earth is moving around more slowly. And then all of a sudden, Mercury gets hit so fast that it basically goes around the sun and behind us and then catches up with us and then moves forward. But from our perspective, and when you see it in the planetarium, it totally looks like it was moving forward and then it went backward. And then it, it like when it catches up to us, it's moving forward again. It is the weirdest thing. That's just the way it looks to our eyes. If you're tracing Mercury in the sky, you're like, wait, why is it moving backwards? So because of that experience, it, it's, it, there's something jarring about that to our psyche. And we don't really understand what it is, but it's jarring. And Mercury is always traditionally represented communication, thought, ideas, languages, like music or math or any other sign language, any language, right? And it's, and so when it's retrograde, it's almost like moving backwards. It's actually doing something different. And so the whole idea of a retrograde motion is that I liken it to, it took me a while to really understand it because Mercury is, it. so on November 20th, Mercury has been moving forward, right? Right. Moving through Sagittarius, right? And then on November 25th, it hit the spot um, in Sagittarius where it was like, okay, I'm going to keep on moving forward, but I'm going to move, I'm going to go into retrograde on December 13th. And then I'm going to move backward to that spot that I was on November 25th, right? And then I'm going to move forward again, right? So on November 25th, that's a marker. We know that it's going to go, Mercury's going to go forward. And then on December 13th, it's going to start going backwards, retrograde, all the way back to that same spot that it was on November 25th, right? It's going to take, it's going to take it until January. That was in like LA. 18 days? Yeah, it'll be January okay. 1st. January 1st in LA, 8.37 p.m. Yeah. And okay, so it'll be January 1st and then it'll move forward from that same point that it was on November 25th, right? And then it has to keep on moving past the place where it went on December 13th, right? So those are called shadows, right? It's like, it's not really retrograde in pre-shadow, like from the 25th to the 13th, we're in pre-shadow right now. It's not really retrograde, but it's going to be going back over the same spot. So whatever you've been going through since November 25th, you're going to go through it over again. No, oh, you're going to go through it over again. You're going to go, huh? I said, oh, joy. <laughs> Not only are you going to do it again, you're going to do it twice. You're going you're gonna to do it three times. So like from now, from the 25th to the 13th is the first experience. Then it goes backwards and you redo it. And then on January 1st, you start, re you start going forward again from what the 25th to the 13th was. And that continues until the 31st of the month, right? Which is like, why? When you think about it, you're like, I'm sorry, the, the 21st of the month, right? Of January. So you don't really, you don't really until January 21st, 8.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we don't really move past where we were on December 13th until that moment. So we're like, Bouncing oh back. my gosh, we're like ping ponging. We are ping -ponging. until the twenty first of January. Exactly. So from the twenty fifth of November 
until the 21st of January, we're in this ping pong. But what's interesting about that? I had to look at them. What is the deal with that? But it's how this is happening four times a year, right? And it's, it's not just the three months, the, th- the three weeks of retrograde from the 31st, the 13th rather of December to the 1st of January. It's not just that. It's the whole, we go forward, then we go backward, then we go forward. It's, a, it's not just the back, it's the forward, backward, forward, right? And yeah. if you look at that whole thing, that whole length of time, which is about six weeks, six weeks, a couple of days, that length of time happening four times a year. What is that? What is, I tried to like, what does that mean? And what that is, it's the time, it's the amount of time that we, it's a third of the year, basically. And so it's, a, it's the amount of time that we sleep in a day. Wow. And so Mercury retrograde is really a time to sleep and dream and restore and rest. And it's a time to redo, to rethink, to regroup, to reevaluate, to meet up with, you know, reunite. It's a time to really restore, repair, rejuvenate. It's like our sleep time. And if we try to do other things that we might not be successful doing during our sleep time, we are going to feel it. And I think it doesn't really hit from in this moment where we are now, right? The 25th to the, to the 13th, right? We're like, we're just chugging along, but really this is the time to be like, okay, (laughs) we need to be chilling out and preparing to rejuvenate right now. We need to be preparing to restore because come the 13th, it's time to chill. And then until the first. We just got to, and then when the first comes to the 21st, we get up and we start moving again, right? But slowly. And then on the 21st, then we really, we wake up and we go. So that's, if you handle retrograde mercuries like that, it's, it's going to be a very different thing for you. And you'll see all the chaos around you. You're like, oh, that person really needs to be taking a nap right now. But they're cranky because... They're it's not. like they're it's like people are like muscling their way through it and expect a different result. Mm-hmm. And I hear this all the time. Oh, this happened. Oh, it's because Mercury's in retrograde. And it it's interesting, but because it's oh, these things that I keep doing are happening because Mercury's in retrograde. And yet I'm not really getting a message that like maybe I sh- what you were saying, need to do something different. Relax, right. repair, right. restore, mm-hmm. rest. Right. Don't push the, the things that you feel like you need to be pushing. Exactly. And it's different for different people. I'll tell you, Mercury retrograde is going to affect different signs differently because it retrogrades in different signs, right? Right. So this one retrogrades, it's in Sagittarius and it goes into Capricorn and then it retrogrades back into Sagittarius and then it moves into Capricorn. So if you're Sagittarius or Capricorn, well, you have your Mercury in Sagittarius, your Capricorn, right? You're going to feel it. But also if you are, you're, you've got major planets that are squaring Sagittarius and Capricorn, like Pisces or Virgo or, or Gemini, you're going to feel something. If you have planets that are squaring Capricorn or, or opposing Capricorn, like Cancer or squaring Capricorn, 
like Libra or Aries, you're going to feel something as well. So these are, it's because the cardinal sign of Capricorn is, it's going to affect other cardinal signs, right? So then the next retrograde is going to happen in April and that retrograde is going to be Aries. First of all, let me just say the Mer Mercury and Sag is like really cool. It's like big, bright ideas. And it's like, when it retrograde, we're going to have to, we're just going to be rehashing big, bright ideas. And Capricorn's about really practical ideas. So the, it, this is an interesting time idea and then the practical application of that idea, right? But then it goes back into the big idea and then it goes forward again into the practical. Lab. So this is, I really like this retrograde because it's, it, we can work with it. It's like massaging these like big things and then, okay, how do we practically apply them? Wait, but I get this big idea. So we get to really plan and prepare in this play space. I really like it. The next retrograde, which is an Aries, it's going to be interesting because the average retrograde is, you know, I also find it, when Mercury is in fire signs, it's just, it's like snappy, quick ideas, really boom, boom. So with Mercury and Aries, it's the comedian, the quick, the one who has the quips and who can really get them moving and all that, right? And it's the first full retrograde of the year, right? So that's going to start Aries. It's it's like the 18th, 19th of March is pre-shadow. And then on the 1st of April, it goes, it's at 27 degrees Aries and it goes retrograde. So it moves back to 15 degrees Aries on April 25th and moves forward until it finally gets to that 27 degree Aries on what, May 13th. Yeah. So no, sorry. Yeah. The 25th, excuse me, the, of, of April, finally get back to where it needs to be. So that's, so, but that's going to be like, that's going to be like when you have these really inspiring ideas, it's almost like we're going to have to go back and forth with them. We're like on fire with this idea. Like we're going to create something new and just go with it. We're feeling really brave, but there's going to be a real back and forth with that. It's almost like it's not quite ready to go. It's like the horse is just moving back and it's not, it's just, it's not ready to, it's going to be very interesting. So I don't, we may be feeling very restless through that, that particular Mercury retrograde. The next one, the next one that happens after the Aries retrograde is like a retrograde uh, in Virgo, but it starts, the pre-shadow starts in Leo, like July 17th. And then it goes, it goes all the way to Virgo four degrees on August 5th and then 4th, 5th. And then goes retrograde, right? And then it goes back to that shadow point of the of the the of the Leo, right? And then it goes forward again, Virgo. So you get this Virgo Leo, Mercury and Virgo Leo. Mercury and Leo is I have an idea, and my idea is an edict. And this is what it is. It's very robust. It's cold. Whereas Mercury in Virgo is I have this amazing idea. And I'm going to really implement it in a way that just really helps serve people, helps open people's eyes up. So there's this whole play going on here with that. I do not know what that's going to be about, but I think that it's going to be, it'll be very helpful in an introspective way. The last one, okay, so let me just say, it's also an election we, year, so let's not right. That's what that. I, was I don't even know. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying not to curse, but cluster is right. the word. Okay, so let's take a moment here. 
Okay. So November 2024, there's a lot of things going on. We have a big outer planet thing happening where Pluto is moving into Aquarius. It hasn't really been where since the Revolutionary War. This It's a big deal. And it moved into Aquarius for a minute in June and went retrograde back into Capricorn. And during that time, the first indictment, all those indictments came out. Remember those indictments? Yeah. They all came out during that time. So it's going to do a little, it's going to do another thing in February, a little stint, and then it's going to go back. But it's going to be like, finally, really, truly, I'm here to stay on the 19th of November. Um, and I don't know, man, it's going to be intense. That's all I have to say. So. Let's talk about this. Pre-shadow is the 7th of November, of November, right? And what is election day? Is it the 8th or something like that? I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, somewhere. It's somewhere around there. Okay. So, yeah. So pre-shadow is, and I don't have my calendar set up correctly. Let me just, sorry about that. I'm going to look really fast. Pre-shadow is, election day is November 5th. So we go into pre-shadow on the 7th, but there's two things going on. There's many things going on, but let's talk about Mercury and then let's also talk about Pluto. So Pluto on the 19th of November, it goes into Aquarius for good for its big 13-year run. So it goes in and it's going to be there until the 30s. Like it's going to be there through, like almost through the 30s. It's going to be a big influential time. And we don't, we haven't, how do I say this? We didn't, quote, discover Pluto. We, we haven't seen it go through all of its signs since we've discovered Pluto. So we're, we don't really know. We didn't really trace it when it was. In, we, we have an idea that like we know that where it was, but we weren't actively looking at it. This is the first time we actively get to watch it, knowing that Pluto is a, a planetoid in the solar system, getting to watch it in Aquarius and see what happens. So this is a really interesting time. And I will just say that that's happening on the 19th, right? Which is a big deal. So it's moving but, from Capricorn to Aquarius? To Aquarius. And then Pluto is going to be affected. Pluto is a transformer. It's going to transform Aquarius. And it's also going to act in an Aquarian way, right? So it's been transforming Capricorn and also acting in a Capricorn way, right? Shadows and all, right? And Pluto is all about shadows. <laughs> it's all about forcing you into transformation by forcing you to see shadow. So it, yeah, it's underworld. It's, you've underworld. got us. Yeah, I was going to say the god of the underworld. Yeah, it's if you don't see the shadow, you can forget about it. And we know that unless we really metabolize our shadow, we can't do anything. Right? Yeah. You can't clear it. All this stuff, right? So these are. This is going to be a real time. This last retrograde is going to be real time to see your shadow. I will say one thing, because I know that people are very interested in relationships, stuff like that. Back in April, that retrograde, because of, the, of what it's doing, the way it's in Aries, and the way that it's Aries moving into Taurus, ultimately, it really is going to be about self. And how do I relate? How do I experience my identity intellectually? How do I express my identity? And then how do I express my identity with others? It's going to be that kind of thing. So there's that. But going back to this heavy 
<laughs> the Mercury tree. Okay, we got a pre-shadow inside Mercury and Sagittarius on November 7th, right? And then it's going to go, it's going to go forward to 22 degrees Aquarius on November 26th. And then on November 25th, as you're here at LA. And then it's going to go retrograde, right? And then it's going to go all the way to December 15th. It's going to be retrograde. And then it's going to go direct. And then it's going to move forward again, right? So there's this very interesting thing that's happening with Mercury and Sagittarius, again, is about big ideas. It's about ideas that, that expand beyond the confines of what we thought they were. You know, let me just say, when it comes to structure, which is Saturn's domain and Capricorn's domain, right? Aquarius revolutionizes that structure, right? But Sagittarius, trans, it goes beyond that structure. It just says, nah, this boundary, I'm not following that. So there is something about the way that we're thinking about boundaries that's really gonna gonna change. And this is a big time to clear the shadows about that. About what are boundaries for, because they're really helpful. And when is it important to transcend that, to to not just transcend that boundary, but to to disobey that boundary, transgress that boundary, right? Trans yeah, exactly. It's past that boundary. So there's a lot of learning about that. And there's going to be a lot of shadow about that. You're going to see a lot of people who don't understand and respect boundaries at that time. And they're going to think they're acting in a way that's for the, their freedom, but it's really their liberty at the expense of others. Right. So um, selfish as opposed to selfless. Or just yeah. even community. There's just community, it just, community yeah. just community includes the self. It doesn't, you don't yeah. have to be selfless. It's just, you just have self for sense of responsibility. So this is going to be a very interesting time for that kind of shadow work to do. Anyway, so that's, but I really try to tell people like Mercury retrograde is it's our time to chill, yeah. to be introspective, to dream, daydream a lot. Let the mind and the expression just relax and daydream, like a really important time for that. And Does I that love make- you bring that up because I feel like a lot of times people panic when it's Mercury in retrograde. Yeah. And so I love that you're bringing up, this is a great time to relax, dream, just yeah. be ima- let your imagination go wild. Yeah. Reread your favorite book. Ah. Uh, yeah. Catch up on work that, that you need to get finished the hat that's been black backlog work. And because the new work that seems to be so important, you're going to have to redo that again anyway. <laughs> so work on, get the uh... backlog. Yeah. If you really try to focus on some new thing, honey, you don't have to redo that anyway. So you're why don't you right. fix the thing that you, or do the thing that didn't get done, put some attention on that. And then since so you're going to have to read, you, you do have to do new things, but you're going to have to redo them. But I love also like getting the focus on let's tie up some loose ends. Yes. Instead of building something new, let's like right. take care of some of this old stuff. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think that, and that goes with relationships. I always, I'm always fascinated when I have clients and a lot of breakups happen during the retrograde, right? And I'm just like, I just say to the client, so 
I want you to know that you two will be talking again. No, I won't. I won't. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no. You and I can look at the I can look at the calendar and see, okay, Mercury's in it, we're in pre-shadow. They break up in pre-shadow, right? Then they're gonna talk twice again. But if they break up during the retrograde, they're gonna talk once again. But don't break up with anybody right now. Or if you do, please feel free. But if you do, just know that after December 13th, you're gonna be talking to them twice more. <laughs> but it's just how it is. Because Mercury is about self-expression. It's about interpersonal expression. It's about communication. It's about thinking and languaging and finding ways to say things. And yeah, just, I can really see how the shadow side can really come up and how people who run more anxious, they just want to get everything out. And right. just to be like more mindful of your, sure. your communication. Right. And through an attachment lunch, my amazing supervisor, Barbara Harry, talked about how Obviously, there's anxious attachment and avoidant right? attachment styles, right? And sometimes they're dysfunctional attachment. And disorganized, yeah. Disor and disorganized. A little bit of both. Lord, that, yeah. <laughs> but what, in terms of looking at, obviously, anxious attachment is anxious, right? That's, there's, that's, but when you really think about avoidant, they're just expressing the anxiety by avoiding. <laughs> so the avoidant may cut off the relationship during a mer Mercury retrograde only to have to communicate again once or twice or at least so and then the anxious person may just implode and just freak out so there's almost like a time of what if i were what if i were sleeping right now i'm anxious about this relationship but what if i were just sleeping right now what would i dream about i do that the avoidant person i want to cut i want to cut this person off it's so i can handle my anxiety about it better when i just but they're away from me. What if I were dreaming right now? What would that be like? Could I talk to them? It's things to imagine, think about, you know. And then again, you're going back to that, like not looking at something in such a binary way. Yes. That there's like different ways to look at a situation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There, there really are. And it's just, it's, oh, having to understand that life you're going to, you're going to, you can't learn how to walk. Nobody teaches you how to walk. You, you fall down, you scrape, you bust your head, you scrape yourself. Uh, and then it hurts, you cry, you're sad, frustrated. And then you walk a little bit and you feel this incredible joy. That's what we're doing right now, right? So if we, if, as children, if we somehow begrudged feeling sad or upset about falling down, we would never get up. Um, these natural things that we go through in, in learning our lives, we just have to keep on doing them. And I think, like you said, we get, get short-circuited in remembering that it wasn't, it was a process to learn. It wasn't an off and on switch of learning how to walk, right? It was a process. It was, we were going through, we were going process that was like spectral. There were some days we get this far and then we go back. And then we like move forward a little more. We go back. Look, the tide that comes in, it, it took a, it took, it was a process. We processed, we learned some things. We forgot some things. We relearned some things. We fell down. Oh, I'm not doing that again. Oh, I did it again. Oh, all that stuff. So that is, the, if we can have the humility that children have, the innocence that children have about 
learning how to do something that nobody's teaching them, but they're watching everybody else do. That is definitely required, that beginner's mind. So I am curious if there's, you know, there's, first of all, I think that people should put in their calendars after listening to this, Perhaps Mercury and retrograde is happening so that sure. there is a reminder of this is a time where I just need to take it easy. Right. So I'm just curious, are there any kind of themes or anything coming up around love or relationships or anything mm-hmm. like that in 2020? Right. We did talk about one of them with the, with that that first full Mercury retrograde that's yeah. in Aries and then going into Taurus. And that Aries right. is all about that. It's, it really is. I have a sense of my identity. It's really self-expression as the self. So Mercury in retrograde, Mercury, excuse me, in retrograde in Aries, Mercury in Aries in general, it is just, like I said, fiery, comedic, witty, smart, quick, quips, that intellect that just, and then in retrograde, it's almost like rethinking all that. Who am I really? What's really going on with me? How do I really relate to others? Do I need to think about others? Is it all about me? So that's one of the, the big things I think is going to be hitting people. I was looking at something. Let me just go take a look here. I'm looking at a chart, looking into the beginning of the year next year. And then I'm also looking a little forward into the middle of the year next year. And I can tell you, I'm just looking where is Venus, which rules relationships. Like where is it transiting? Where is it moving? What is it doing? In the beginning of the year, it's going to be moving eventually into Aquarius, right? And this is a time where Venus is like, Mars is also going to be Aquarius too, which is really interesting. In fact, we're very experimental in our relationships. And Mars and Aquarius is also experimental about sexuality. But when I find Mars and Venus and Aquarius together, it's almost like you're experimental in your relationships in ways that you had never imagined. Oh, I don't, it doesn't have to be this way. It could be something different. And it may not be some big thing like a same-sex relationship or a different gender relationship that, or like a non-binary gender relationship or a thruple or an open relationship or asexuality, very important. And maybe all those things, maybe none of those things. It may be something that's just, I never really thought about relating to a person in this way. But that's a big thing that's going to be happening. It's this time of experimenting inside ourselves with what do we even, what, what do relationships mean for us? That's going to, it's going to come up. Um, and we're just going to be challenged of like, how do I relate in the world? If I'm, if I could see things differently, it's a big, it's a big thing. And then as we get to the middle of the year, Venus is moving, is doing its tour of all the signs again, goes to Pisces. Aries, then Taurus, Gemini, and then it's in Cancer, like kind of in the middle of the year, July. And then I have considered all of these other things about relationships. And now how do I make it really caring? This is time for just starting to really care about people and care about others. How do I care about myself in the presence of others? That kind of thing. So there's a big trend, just this big tour that Venus is going on. And Venus kind of goes on that tour every year, but what I'm fascinated by is that in March, this conjunction with Mars, because it becomes physical. And to be physical in 
for Venus and Mars to be physical in Aquarius, Aquarius is completely conceptual, right? So it's, I need to have a concrete experience that is conceptual. Okay, wait a minute, concrete and conceptual. So this is a very, I'm fascinated with this experimental time. And then as you get later, as, as Venus moves forward, Mars will be in Taurus, but Venus will be moving forward. And then Mars will be like relating to Venus, but like, how can I physically make these concrete expressions? Mars and Taurus, Venus and Cancer. How do I show this real sensitivity and love in a concrete way, physically, not conceptually, right? So there's, like I said, the beginning of the year, really different ideas about relationship. And then moving into later in the year, how do we like, wow, go into this new way of, how do I concretize that? That's exactly I, what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. How do I concretize that? So that's one of the big, that's just one of the big trends for the year. I can tell you there are certain sides that are going to be affected by that more. Aquarius is going to be rethinking a lot of the way that it relates to everyone. And people who have Aquarius rising, Aquarius moons are going to be rethinking about that too, right? And then I think Tor Tor Torians, Taurus is going to have to really, it's almost like I need to act by the middle of the year, I need to act. You will definitely feel that pull to act. I'm, I'm getting ready. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Taurus. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you're a Taurus. Let me, I just want to look at one other trace, one other, I just want to move a little bit further into the year. Let's see. Because we have so much going on here. Next year is like, ooh, girl. Well, your seatbelts. Yeah, I have to say 2020 was like, holy yeah. moly. And 2016 was also holy moly. I think 2024 is going to be intense. It's the dragon year and dragon years are always intense, but it's not a fire dragon year. It's a wood dragon year. So it's not as intense as, as 2020, 2036 is going to be. Oh my God, that year. I don't even, I'm just like, I, I we have this thing called nodal binds that we look big pattern and we, we were in a, every time we're in a nodal bind, there's a pandemic like every time. The next nodal bind is 2036. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. This is like an intense year, 2036. I think it's going to be a doozy of a year. That's all I can say. Okay. Um, Thank goodness we've got 12 years to prepare. Girl, I never lie. Okay. Because we have got <laughs> to get ready for this. Really. But in terms of relationships, like by the end of the year, Venus is in Capricorn again, which is where it is moving through now. And it's, it's really gotten a sense, practical sense of, okay, this is how I want things to go now. This is what I want to, what I want to do with a lot of things. And Mars will have been in cancer. So it's like really doing all the loving behaviors. And then it moves into, to Leo. It's okay. I've done the care. Now I'm going to, I'm going to just really center myself, That's kind of, which is what's going to happen. So you'll see, like you had that first trend, like experimental ideas, bigger than whatever, making it, concretizing it. Now it's okay. We've concretized. Let's get practical. Yeah, let's get practical. So that's the arc for everybody's, what influencing everybody's relationships throughout the year. Those are the big kind of markers, if you will, 
um, that are going to, yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I, all I can say is very interesting year. I, I feel because Mercury comes out of retrograde on January 1st, right? Mm-hmm. It almost, you know, so there's people ask for what they ask. I don't know. People wonder. Yeah. The name January is named after the god Janus, right? J-N-U-S. And this god Janus is really interesting because it has a head that's looking forward and then it has a head in the back of its head, a face in the back of its head, a face looking forward, and the other face in the back of the head is looking backward, right? And so January really is this month of, okay, we're moving forward to this new year. What are we doing? And also, I got to look back because what do we do so that I can know what I'm doing? So it really is this to have the Mercury turning direct on January 1st, it's really going to be, we really are going to be, we always are reflecting on the year that passed and what to do moving forward, but this is going to be really significant and you'll feel it. So I think you're going to have a lot of people being very introspective because Venus and Mars is going to be in Aquarius early in the year. I think we're also going to be really like rethinking relationships rethinking, getting really experimental, just, we might not be acting on it, but we're definitely going to have different ideas about relationships. And then we move into that concretizing space. Yeah. Just even you saying that and how Mercury is working with, is in retrograde in the beginning and there's like the experimental and just, again, not really having, and what I'm feeling, sensing is like not really having to pin anything down. And you don't want to do that in Mer- when Mercury's in retrograde. It's just right. like what you're saying, daydream, imagine, rest, relax. So it's so interesting how they go hand in hand. Yeah, that's true. And they do. There's certain planets that are going through certain journeys. Saturn's been in Pisces for quite a, a while and it's just doing its thing. But when I think about Neptune, Neptune rules Pisces, co-rules Pisces, Jupiter, but it's the kind of the ruler of Pisces. And so it's at the end of Pisces, finally retrograde forward, but it will eventually move into Aries and that will happen kind of 2024, 2025, right? So what we're seeing is this, how do I say this? Okay. We're always looking at the pre-session of the equinoxes as astrologers, which is it's pre, not procession forward, but precession, which is these big astrological agents. And we happen to be in one of the most amazing moments in history, uh, where we're moving from backwards from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius, right? This, it's a big thing. So to see Neptune moving out of Pisces is actually, it's, it's huge. We had the dawning of it in the sixties. The harmonic convergence was in the late eighties. But these things, because they take thousands of years to move, it's 15, 20 years to go like a degree. So we're just really moving very slowly into occur into the age of Aquarius. And but if you look, especially from the late 80s to now, you can really see we moved from a Piscean era, which was about big stories and royalty to like Aquarius information. Yeah. And the shadow of Aquarius is I don't care about you. I only care about myself. I want to isolate. I want to be alone. But the light of Aquarius is like, we're a human family and we're diverse and we get to create 
a commonwealth where we all get to live together and experience that diversity. And royalty and, and monarchies don't really work anymore in this space. So there's that kind of, you know, thing that's happening with the perspective of this big precession of the equinox, this big thousands of years movement that we're in right now. And to be changing from one big era to another, like we moved from over 2000 years ago, we moved from the age of Aries to the age of Pisces, big change in human consciousness. And we're in another gigantic shift in human consciousness. I think a hundred years ago, we were definitely in Pisces, industrial age, all that stuff. But we're, it's very clear we're not in the, we're in a different age now than we are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it'll be very interesting to see. That's like a big picture. But it's also, it's also it, the microcosm and the microcosm work together, you know. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting to take a wider view of what's going on and then go back and get more focused. And I will say something like, so there's a, I, on Instagram, I call him my child. I seriously, somehow I had a child and his name is Colin Bettle and he's queer astrology on Instagram. If you want to get an amazing just experience of astrology, like he says, now I, I've been saying years, I don't believe in astrology. He says, I don't believe in astrology. I experience it. If you want to get an experience of astrology, um, Colin, queer, queer Cosmos is amazing. And he is very much, he uses a lot of psychology, a lot of Brene Brown. He just, he's so knowledgeable. He's a Gemini and an actual twin. It's, he's extraordinary, but he really breaks down what's happening with the signs relationally and how, when different planets are moving into different signs, especially Venus, which is a relationship planet, Mercury communication planet. As they move around, he just breaks it down. I don't need to do that work. Go find him really because he's, he'll break it down and he'll just be like, he'll just bring in a quote from some wonderful psychologist about communication and about shadows and about anxiety and about attachment. And it's just extraordinary what he's doing. I don't even, I just, when I hear him talk, I'm like, oh yeah, everything. A lot of times I hear astrologers talk and I just be like, oh my gosh, they sound like prophets of doom. And it's just so like cookie cutter. He's doing the real thing. He's the real deal. And his grasp of how to discuss relationships vis-a-vis -vis astrology. Awesome. Awesome. And I don't like Gemini, by the way, they get on my nerves. I'm a Scorpio. I want to get right down to business. The Gemini gets on my nerves. I have a lot of Gemini friends, which who I love. Because when Gemini gets it right, they really get it right. Boy, they can be a pain. They can be a pain. They're really not just twins. They're like three consciousnesses. It's like there's the alpha, the omega, and then there's like the consciousness that holds all of it. And in that consciousness is where they can understand spectrum and nuance and all that. They can be. Oh, yeah. But boy, when they don't get it like that, they are just troublemakers. I'm talking to you, Gemini, if you're out there. I'm serious. If you start, if you're all out there gossiping and making trouble for people, stop and be like, that's the shadow. 
I need to get into the light of the whole story and I need to learn when it's appropriate to say something and not. That's all I can say about children. But when, if they can get it right, boy, they can be amazing. Yeah. I feel like their potential for creating horror is second only to Scorpio. I'm a Scorpio, so I know. We either create horrible harm for ourselves and others or we just heal ourselves and others. We have very extreme choices. The, I'd say the second most destructive sign is Gemini. Oh, and the first is uh, Scorpio? Is Scorpio. But it's also, we also, when we get it right, we just transform everything around us. Yeah. You know, including ourselves. So. Destructive. Yeah. Those are very intense signs. And then if you look at the opposite of those signs. What's that? That's a lot of shadow too. Sure. And if you look at the opposite of those signs. Exactly. Yeah. Scorpio doesn't really, you don't get a physical manifestation of what Scorpio does until you go into to Taurus, right? And Taurus can't really do anything without the immaterial, uh, it, the immaterial mass, if you will, the immaterial substance, if you will, of Scorpio. That's what imbues Taurus with that that robust physical manifestation that changes things. So they don't, they can't really be without each other. They really need each other. And Gemini. Is all about the short story and the quick thing to say. But if it's not informed by Sagittarius and the big story, then it's just gossip. It's just creating, it's just a pain in the neck. So there's that, that real, there's that interplay of those two where you, Sagittarius really needs, Gemini really needs Sagittarius to be able, it needs that contextual big story, that big idea to really help it to, when it is granular, to be right on the money. And that's definitely Colin. But he's, he's amazing. So I recommend Queer Cosmos, definitely. Oh, I'm I mean, definitely going to check that out. Oh, yeah. You'll be, you'll, he's very real. If they'll be talking, he's just like cussing. But he beats it out. It's funny. But he's just so like, but like in a good way. Yeah. But it's just very funny. He's, he's hilarious. He'll, some days he'll just be like, He'll just do like a Britney Spears dance. It's you're like, dude, really? He just and he's not being so serious, but he's like very serious. But he's also like stop being so serious. Like he's great. He's a trickster, you know, as most the best Gemini's are, right? Yeah. Uh so yeah, you'll you'll enjoy that. But yeah, I mean, uh there's some amazing astrologers out there doing amazing work. And I find the ones who are doing the work that is really changing lives are the ones who, I'll say this, Caroline Casey has a bunch of, she calls visionary activist principles. And one of them is that it's principle zero, um, believe nothing, entertain possibilities, right? That's principle zero. And then she has, she also has one of her principles is like the prediction leads to predicament, right? Getting, she's not really into the whole Oh, well, this is in this house. In five days, you're going to have this. Because the whole idea is like, when you step into prophecy, you start to make your own fortune. You start to decide, what am I doing here? What's really happening? And so it's a very different, it's a very different way of looking at the world and prediction. Prophecy is, I am going to make this happen. I have a desire. I want this to happen. How can I interact with all these energies so that it happens. So I don't see, Colin is, what I love about him and other astrologers like him 
and like me is we're not interested in predicting the future. Telling me that in the middle of February, this is going to happen. And the thing is, don't get me wrong, it's probably going to happen, but that's actually not as important as how are you going to respond to it. And so if I tell you it's going to happen, who cares? But if I tell you that no matter what happens, you get clear with your energies, right? That you can make that thing into the impetus for incredible success. But if you're just fatalistic about it, it's like you've already lost. I feel too is that there can be so much attachment to that, that everything I'm going to do from now until that date is going to be in service of that. Absolutely. And so many other opportunities and things can be missed because yes. I'm so focused on that one thing. And I'm also so focused on the outcome, not right. even knowing if the, the outcome process. is actually going, not even knowing the process or maybe the outcome is actually not going to be the right thing for me. Yeah. The journey is the destination. So if all you do is think about the destination, then you miss the destination because that's the journey. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I invite people to really get into ritual, do things that get them connected to these parts of themselves. Mm. And there's lots of ancient knowledge out there. There's ancient ritual out there. There's contemporary ritual. Find your, make your own research, experiments, all these things. Those are very important uh, because we're in a place now where we've moved out of this Piscean institutional, you're going to be, this is the way spirituality has to be. You have to sit into this. It's not about fitting in. It's about belonging, right? And Aquarius is not about, Aquarius is not about fitting in. Aquarius is about belonging. It's like everybody belongs. Mm. So this is a time and it's about experimentation. Uranus or Carolyn Casey talks about how really we call the planet, and I pronounce it Uranus because it's supposed to jar you a little bit and it's supposed to be a little avant-garde. It's supposed to be a little funny and tricky. You know? So I, li I actually like the fact that is the way it's supposed to be pronounced. But people say Uranus because they don't want to remember. I don't care. They don't want to say Uranus. <laughs> yeah, I say Uranus because that's what it is. That's how it's pronounced. And I hope you laugh because that's what Uranus wants us to feel. That everything's a joke anyway. Come on. So, and she talked about Prometheus almost being a better, being a, being a more appropriate. It's a very, it's a very analogous energy to Uranus because Uranus, the energy of Uranus is like a blue lightning that comes out and hits a tree, lights it on fire. All of a sudden, humanity has fire. The whole game has been changed. And we have fire keepers. It's just, oh my gosh, I can, this fire, and now I can do, we start thinking of the world in a totally different way, right? So that's what, it's really Promethean in terms of just bringing a new idea that just changes the entire game. So if you're looking around, you're waiting for whatever to happen in February, right? You missed the lightning bolt. Uranus is also about what's unexpected. There's that too. So yeah. So I, I really think one of the great gifts of astrology is it, when you get into the experience of it, uh, you start to notice patterns. And when you notice patterns, when something really crappy happens, you can go, oh, this is a toxic mimic of this. Wow. I'm experiencing envy right now. Whoa. Wow. 
okay, this is ugly. Ooh, let me just, let me make this bigger and really look at this and see what this is. Okay, wow, this shadow is really, wow, this is what it's doing to me. Okay, so what's the light of envy? I want to be like, I want to have what this person has, but I don't want to do what they do, what they're doing to get it. And I feel like they're showing me up because they have something that if I don't have it, my identity is not complete. What is the light side of that toxic mimic? What's of that toxic mimic? Is, can that person inspire me to go and find what I want to have my own way? Maybe I don't want exactly what they have. Maybe I do want exactly what they have. Maybe I don't have it and I'm not going to have exactly what they have. Can I feel the pain of what that feels like to not have instead of just being resenting them for having it. And if I can feel the pain, how does that experience of pain awaken something in me so that I can do what I need to do for myself? The thing about the toxic mimic is it's easier. Yeah. It's easier and it feels, feels more comfortable or comforting, but ultimately you have to go through the odyssey, the ordeal. In order to learn how to walk, you have to fall. So yeah, so there's that. It's like astrology helps us to see, oh, I'm doing this. <laughs> okay. I remember this when this happened, when this came around the last time. Ah. Let me respond differently. Because okay. the, the sun is thing every, every year and the moon does its thing every month. And Mercury follows the sun almost, whatever. But every 12 years, you get a Jupiter return. Every 27 and a half, 30 years, you get a Saturn return. Those architects of our personality, those big parts, they repeat. So we get to, this is wisdom, of course, but after a number of moons, you get real clear about how it's going to go. And that's not prediction as much as it is, oh, I remember that. It's not going to be, it, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to have that, that flavor. So the last time it had that flavor, I was caught up in this whole fantasy about whatever. Yeah. And this time, I'm going to do this differently. Patterns. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's how it is. And I think, especially with, when it comes to attachment, and we are comfortable and comforted by familiar patterns, even and especially when they're not good for us. And to actually go, wow, I need to get uncomfortable and experimental. And get into that beginner's mind, that, that child is learning how to walk and I need to fall down because I can learn a whole new way of doing something. And this way that I've been doing it over and over, it's just not, I'm not happy. And it's interesting too, because just like what you were saying, would you say Jupiter was, comes around every 12 years, yeah, 12 years. And then what's every 27 and a half years. And Pattern. It's interesting when you're looking at these larger planets and these longer durations. And what it got me to thinking was going back to Mercury retrograde is that we can actually start doing things to shift these patterns in these, in the, when Mercury is in retrograde instead of, yeah. oh, well, I hear this all the time. Oh, my computer and oh, and people are like, it's right. despairing. And instead mm -hmm. of doing that, it's okay. We can actually shift these patterns. Yeah. We've got four four chances in the year to yeah. really go and start shifting these patterns. Yeah, we do. We do. And right now, I don't know when your podcast comes out, but just in this particular retrograde, 
one of the things, uh, there's always a, a frenetic busyness around the holidays. I gotta go shopping. I gotta do that. I gotta go to this party. But yeah. Like the parties that are gonna be really successful, the parties that focus on what did we do this year? Mm-hmm. And what did we learn this year? Or how can we just all just get together and just appreciate each other? But some people are having parties to launch something or they're having parties to like, this party is the way that we're going to show off how we're going to showcase or whatever. That's not the energy right now. Uh, Unless the showcase is about, look at all the things that we did this year and let's just sit and appreciate that. Not looking forward, let's just appreciate that. So it can be, there's always a way to do everything in a way that works with the rhythm that's going on. If you think your Christmas party is going to be all about moving you, propelling you forward, take a moment and appreciate what you've, what you survived, what you've accomplished, what you've achieved, what your relationships are. Like, take a look at that in this time, and then there will be a time to move forward after the new year. Plenty of time for that. Yeah. Plenty of time to experiment. Yes. Experiment, concretize, and... And then make practical. Make practical. Yeah. That's, that was a big relationship tasks for next year. So I'm excited about the experimental part, to be honest. So I'm excited know. too. And I'm excited to start 2024 in more of an experimental imagining, resting, daydreaming yeah. place. Cause people are always ready to like, okay, out at the gate. And it's nice to be able to know that let's reflect, let's spend mm-hmm. some time reflecting and resting, yeah. and regrouping. And somebody else told me that the new year actually wasn't going to start until the third week. Oh yeah. The 21st. Year. Cause that's yeah. when you, that's when the mercury will go direct. But to me, it's the thing is that even on the 21st, check it out. Mercury is going to be where it was on December 13th. Right. Mm-hmm. And then moving forward. So even then there's still going to be this sense of, oh, wow. We'll still be targeting until the 21st. We'll be kind of getting back to this time that we're recording this. Interest is very interesting. So yeah, the 21st, yeah, take those first three weeks and do the things that need to be done to get you ready to, there's a, so my mentor, I'm a Buddhist, I've been Buddhist for almost 28 years. My mentor, uh, Daisaku Ikeda, he just passed away, 95 years old, extraordinary, brought Buddhism to the West in 1960, big deal, right? He used to say, and his mentor, Jose Toro, used to say, if you're, sometimes when you're going backwards, you might be backing up, ramping up to really run forward. And that's how I look at the retrograde sometimes. It's, you may need more space to run. Yeah. So back up a little bit so you can really run forward and leap farther. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. This is all good stuff. And I just feel like I know so much more about astrology. I under really understand what Mercury retrograde means. And, and I love the explanation of where the planet is in the astrology is like they're putting, they are wearing the mask of that yes. sign. Yes. I think that's so important because now when I start to read, this is like really sparking my interest and inspiring me to really like get into it and get, have a better understanding. And I I feel like that's such an exciting place to just be like, oh my gosh, what does it mean when, what is it like Venus wears the mask of Aries? Well, the reason why I use masks, because 
when a lot of times we have planets that are on the cusp of two sides, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, hey, Venus has taken off the mask of Aries of putting on the mask of Taurus. So what is a planet that's taking off one mask, putting on another mask? Look, how is it behaving? Sometimes it's acting like an Aries. Sometimes I want a new mask, Taurus, right? So that's, so it's a, it's helpful when you're looking at whatever you have things that are on the cusp. Because most of the time we have something on a cusp, it, whether it's our sun sign or our moon sign, whatever it is, we've got something on the cusp of two different signs. And so we look at, it's almost like, it's like switching masks. In that switchover, a lot of interesting things are happening, you know? But yeah. So I'm glad you dug that. It's just so informative because now I just have a better understanding of when I read about this, I know what to look for. Cool. Yeah. Great. Thank I'm glad. you. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know about you listeners, but I am super inspired to get my chart done for 2024 just to see what happens, what surprises it brings, and just to learn more about how these planets work. If you want some astro coaching or to learn more about Che, you can find him at chejohnson.net, C-H-E johnson.net. Such a great guy. And if you want to learn more about me, reach out DM. You can find me at Instagram at Mary B Therapy or check out my website, marybtherapy.com. And thanks for listening.